beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. She is preparing to retire. She's about to turn 64. She is preparing for end of life and a very, I mean, she's young and healthy, but you know, she's doing all the administrative things now she's in the process of retiring. And so she actually said, you're probably going to bury me when we had a whole conversation about it, that I will see her grow old and sick and die. I'm Laura Tremaine and I have 10 things to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. In celebration of the launch of my new book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs, we are continuing my Friendship Stories series. As a reminder, last year when I was writing The Life Council, I did dozens of interviews as part of my research with people who had unique friendship stories. I'm featuring some of these stories here on the podcast to highlight all the different perspectives we can have around friendship, which is one of the main messages of The Life Council. Today's guest, Carol, shares with us the story of her friendship with Gloria. Their friendship spans a few cultural differences, race and age. Carol is Asian and Gloria is Black, and the women have a 20-year age gap between them. Carol speaks candidly about how this affects their friendship and the challenges it brings, but also the gifts. This conversation is also about the importance of openness and vulnerability in friendship. I do want to say that as a white woman hosting this conversation, my job here was to listen to their lived experiences that are so different from my own. Carol and Gloria listened to this episode after we recorded it to make sure that their perspectives were represented. Carol and Gloria's friendship definitely qualifies as unique, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing about it. 
My new book, The Life Council, is out now and covers a wide range of friends and friendship issues. It is available in hardcover, paperback, ebook, or audiobook, read by me. Pick up The Life Council at your favorite retailer and learn more by going to thelifecouncilbook.com. I will let my guest start by introducing herself. My name is Carol. I live in Seattle, Washington. I'm originally from Texas, and I moved to Seattle in 2016 to pursue a career in tech and nonprofit to begin with, but now I work in the tech industry, and my friends are very important to me, so I was very excited about this conversation. Tell me why your friends are very important to you. I know that's general, but I just want to hear it from you. I was single for 20 adult years before I got married. So during that time, you know, my community was mostly my friends. I moved away from my home state a couple times in my 20s. I boomeranged back for a little bit, but then left again. So I haven't lived near family most of my life. I wasn't married for a long time. So building a lot of strong friendships was a touchstone for me. Are making friends, is that easy for you? It is. <laughs> I'm pretty outgoing. I embrace vulnerability. Ooh, I like it. Um, yeah, it's it's easy for me to be vulnerable. I have a naturally energetic and outgoing personality. So I tend to quickly at least engage with people superficially when I first meet them. I'm also willing to really put myself out there and pursue real steps in building a substantial friendship. So that's that's, you know, I, I think being single for a long time, I had the time for that. Um, I saw the value in it. And so I just, I've always intentionally, you know, made the phone call, made the plan, share the things that are important to kind of establishing commonality and vulnerability between two people. So it is easy for me. I've been blessed, um, lucky in that way, I guess. Do you... Were you mostly making friends in a workplace scenario? Do you like make friends out socially? Like where do you, or just anybody you strike up a conversation with? For a long time, I grew up in Texas and I lived in Texas for a while in my twenties. So I was, I was kind of already entrenched in certain communities after college, you know, from my hometown and then my job. Eventually I, when I left Texas, I actually lived overseas for a little bit. Um, and I was a teacher then. So I think being a teacher kind of lends itself to meeting lots of people, building relationships in that way. I was teaching English in a foreign country. So that was a basis for already naturally people wanting to engage with you and relate to you and get to know you. Um, so then I left Texas and it, it became harder the further I left home and the older I got. I continued, I think that my years in California, I actually lived in California briefly for about five years. It was mostly work oriented. At one point I moved into a house with four other women. And up until that point, I had been very lonely actually living in LA. Mm -hmm. And that, that was a, a life altering decision to move in with these four other women that opened up so many relationships and networks. And then I moved to Seattle in 2016. And it, this has been the hardest chapter yet because I think it's the age again, I'm in my forties now. Many people in my life stage were married with kids. Seattle is known for being challenging to make friends. When I moved here, people informed me right away about the Seattle freeze. There's a Wikipedia article about Seattle freeze. You can look it up if you're interested in, in it. But Seattle is not an easy place to make friends. I hadn't heard that, but I haven't spent yeah. any time in that part of the country. I will um, speak to 
being from Oklahoma, which is mm-hmm. similar in culture to Texas, and then moving to LA, yeah. I did not know. I was lonely too. I did not know how to make friends. I mean, I thought I did because there was a certain way, <laughs> so, you know, and then I got yeah. out here and I was like, oh no, girlfriendships are really different here. And the only way I could make friends in LA was work friends because it was basically like repeated contact. We were just together every day. So we would eat lunch or whatever and get to know one another and become friends. But people that I tried to make friends with sort of more traditionally, like, do you want to get coffee or go out or whatever? People were so flaky. They would cancel. They were like, I don't want to say suspicious of you, but there was like a weird balance of either why are you being weird? Like sort of, yeah. sort of sus- skeptical, maybe. Yes. Skeptical. skeptical of you or the other side of the coin. If they were like too enthusiastic or something, <laughs> there was like a weird thing of like, they wanted something from you. Like everyone here, you know, wants like, you know, Oh, who do you know? Who can you at the time? Cause oh, now I'm dating LA myself. LA is very specific in that way. It's so right? specific. Yeah, I think there's a lot of artifice in LA. So And I didn't make, I did not make good girlfriends in LA until I had kids. And again, well, I mean, I guess I had some friends when we were working, but again, the kid thing was only because it was repeated contact. Like you just, otherwise people here will just like float off into the, (laughs) it's just like really hard to sustain. I mean, you're talking about a basic element of friendship, right? I mean, you keep saying repeated contact and I'm like, well, that's exactly it. You need, there's, there is a formula at the end of the day. And that is one of the things that you need. Yeah. Like I was going to say what you said a few minutes ago about you were pretty good at, I can't remember how you phrased it, like going deeper, doing the work Mm. that takes to go deeper. What do you think that is? Like, what are those steps? You want to go certain places in conversation, right? I, I think activity, shared activities, definitely. I like to think in terms of kind of what are the real components of the friendship, right? So I think repeated contact is definitely like a frequency or the cadence needs to be there. So as far as like the spirit or the kind of the inner workings of the friendship, yeah, I I do find myself now even. So I I pick and choose what I talk about. And I'm I'm aware that I'm going to go somewhere new for us, us being me and the new. And I'm doing that now, actually. I just started a new job in September. I I'm doing that now. I I see myself doing it with people I'm working with is I'm going to choose to bring up a certain topic or I'm going to choose to say a certain thing. Uh, I have a girlfriend right now I've made at work and we're all mostly virtual. We have tech jobs. So it's, we all, we're all at home. So we don't get to interact as much in person, but we, we picked up a chat. I've seen her a handful of times, but we've, we've picked up a chat and I'm in the process of buying a condo with my husband and she already has a house. So I was telling her about our condo hunt. And I said, it's just so hard in this market. Seattle's markets is really competitive right now. Home prices are skyrocketing Mm -hmm. and we have pretty modest means. My husband and I maybe compared to some other people living in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So we're at a certain budget level. And I was telling her about the condo and I'm kind of aware she's in a, she's in a nice house. I'm trying to get a condo. You know, I'm aware that that's there. So then I choose to say to her today, this just happened today. I made a choice. I could, I could feel myself making it. I'm going to tell her how I feel about that. I said, you know, it's hard. I'm struggling with a certain level of discontentment, you know, seeing my friends who have nice houses and I'm at this stage in my life and I'm still trying to get into a 600 square foot condo. And I, I put that out there. And so I make those choices. I think I'm at a point in my life and my friendships are so 
they're scarce now. I mean, I just moved here six years ago, seven, seven years ago. Also, each time I switch states, I drop friends, right? And I have to, I have to make new ones. I'm at a point in my life where my friends in Seattle are, are not as numerous as they mm-hmm. were in Texas. They, they keep, it's a funnel. Every time I move, the, I, my friend group gets smaller. Like, are you hoping for, or are you feeling the waters? Like what I'm testing? Yeah. I, so I've been testing this friendship with her. I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm testing her, but I'm kind of exploring kind of the range of the friendship right now by saying mm-hmm. something like that to her. And we've already shared other things that made that feel appropriate at this time. You know, it's not like we just met. There were other things that made it appropriate to share something a little more kind of personal and maybe even shows a little bit of a a rub between where she is and where I am in the economic skills, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but I felt that I could do it with her. So I did. And she, I thought received it really well and so to, to get back to your question is I make choices to go there. If I want to see if we can develop the friendship better. I've never heard anyone describe it like that. <laughs> I, I imagine we're all doing it, but I, I don't, I'm pretty intentional. It. I'm very, I mean, I, I mean, I've been fo- following you for, I mean, you're pretty intentional too. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, dot com and use code you y-o-u so you know i don't think of myself as like i think of people who describe themselves as intentional or people mm-hmm. who like post about being intentional or whatever i think of them as being sort of more type a than i am or anything like that or like i just don't always sort of relate to the way their brain is working but after my book came out i had real life friends like people who know me personally like different people who don't know each other say to me that they were so shocked by how intentional I was about my life, like making life choices about like my husband and mm-hmm. moving and whatever. And I was like, I don't think about it like that, <laughs> but they were, you know, so you can't see it in yourself. Sometimes I think I am. I'm, I have done exactly what you're describing, by the way. I'm not, I'm sure you I just have. have never said it like that. And I love that you did. Yeah. I'm perfectly aware that I'm doing it. I will say that. And I, and then there are other, just on the flip side of that, I, I know that I'm choosing not to do that with certain people. I read the room and I'm always trying to figure out where I want to try and take the relationship and if it has the potential for that. And you know, what's interesting mm-hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I'm more aware. This is why I'm like having to step back a minute. 
I think I used to do this more or be more aware of it, like consciously aware of it when I was flirting. So like Mm -hmm. when I was dating, Mm -hmm. I feel like I did this a lot more with men. Interesting. And I don't do it so much with friends or at least not as consciously, like with other women, it's definitely not as conscious, but I know for a fact I did it when I was dating and I wanted to like, yeah, explore. Yeah. Like see what was happening. So yeah, it's so interesting. I'm definitely going to think about this, but you wrote about, you wrote to me about a very specific friendship in your life. So I do want to talk about that. Is she your best friend? Sure. I mean, that label at this point. I mean, yes, yes. I say she's my best friend in Seattle. I have a best friend in LA and then I have a best friend in Texas. I mean, you know, I've lived in three states as an adult. So she is my, I do call her my bestie and we call each other best friend. We like it. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about it. We moved into the same apartment building within a month of my move to Washington from California. And I wrote her a card. I'd never even met her. But I, well, I ran into her. I moved in first. A month later, she moved in. Both units were empty. I had actually seen both and taken one. And then she took the other one a month later. I met her moving in and I wrote her a card. I wrote her a card welcoming her to the building, even though I had just moved in, literally new, completely new to the state of Washington. And I said, we should get dinner together sometime. And maybe I invited her over. I don't know. I really, I, I mean, th- again, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I'm really intentional. Oh. Why did you target her? Like I had no reason at all and every reason at the same time. She lived, she our doors literally faced each other. If you opened both our doors, you'd have a perfect just a it. you know breezeway between our two units. So that's the reason. I mean, she was a woman, she was she's black, she's 60, she's exactly 20 years older than me. I didn't know that at the time, but she's a woman. She's a woman who just moved in. So I did it. And um, I don't have any expectations when I do these things. I'm really just, it's a gamble. I don't care if it doesn't work out, but we started hanging out. I would say in the beginning, it was a little slower, but eventually it picked up and it was just that organic. We became best friends. Like, did you have instant friend chemistry? Not that I remember. I don't remember like a moment I mean, I, I remember those moments sometimes in some of my relationships. I don't remember like a moment where it sparked or clicked or whatever. In fact, in the beginning, she was a little bit aloof because her, her brother had just died. She had lived in Seattle for 30 years and rents were going up. Her building was being torn down and she was forced to move to Tacoma, which is, where, which is about 30 minutes from here. I live in Seattle now. And so she was going through a lot of change and grief. And so in the beginning, she was not that available. I mean, she responded to some of my invitations, but it wasn't like it just took off right away. But I would say within a year, it it was just gradual. You know, it helped that we were across the hall. I'm sure that I invited her over, just like come over, you know? So I think sharing, being able to have each other in our homes, that developed the relationship. You know, we were both single at the time. We both share a lot of interests. We like to eat out together. We live in a walking neighborhood. There's a, there's a huge park in front of our old building. So we would take walks together. There was nothing exceptional about the way our friendship developed. It was just the normal, natural ways. Something that helped drive our friendship deeper was we both lean in when there's a conflict. And mm. I, I do remember one time sitting in a restaurant with a third person. I said something and then she responded in a way that hurt me a little bit. She was a little bit dismissive of a viewpoint or something. I don't remember 
well, I do. It was, it was actually about marriage. She had been married before and she expressed a certain level of cynicism about it. Something I said, and I had never been married. So we were coming at it from completely different perspectives. And I remember choosing to talk to her about it later. You know, you make those decisions. To talk to your friend about it later. Yeah. Yeah. To talk to her. Her name's Gloria. She, mm-hmm. I told her I'm talking to you about us. So we successfully resolved that. And then to bring it into like the light of current day events, when George Floyd was killed during the summer of 2020, I guess we just really, it was kind of challenging to know how to talk about it for me. I think maybe more for me than for her. Wait, let's talk about that a little bit because like on the surface, you both have a lot of differences. You have a 20 year age gap. Mm -hmm. You are Asian. She is black. You've had different life experiences. If she's lived somewhere 30 years and you've moved around a bit, so you've had different hometown type experiences. I mean, that's, that's kind of a lot of like a, you know, a wide gap. And so did you talk about some of those things prior to George Floyd dying, which, you know, was sort of explosive in all of these conversations. Had you talked about, I don't know, Black Lives Matter or like the uptick in assault on Asian Americans or like, I mean, had you talked about those things? Yes, because she was adopted by a white couple when she was eight years old in Minnesota. And I would have no way of knowing that. She shared that with me probably a somewhere in the first year of our friendship, you know, that's something you can't tell about someone by looking at them. Right. She really had to tell me, like she mentioned her parents. I'm not like asking, are your parents black or white? I like, I don't ask people that question. (laughs) So then she, that came up and she, she shared that with me. So that began the, that was the beginning of our conversation around, around race because she was raised in white, you know, her parents encountered a lot of racism kind of racist criticism when she was adopted into their community. They lived in a small town, they brought her home and that there was a whole lifetime of struggle. So yes, we had talked about race. I think it's harder to talk about the Asian experience than it is the black experience because the the Asian experience is often assumed or, you know, I mean, the Asians are the silent minority. Well, and it feels a little bit less collective to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Asian is so- Yes, yes. Yeah, it's there's broad and... seven reasons. Exactly. I mean, yeah. agents aren't being killed in the numbers. I mean, the experience is just different. So I found over time that we were talking about her black experience disproportionately to how much I was talking about my Asian experience. So that's like something that's really difficult to know how to, you know, for a long time, I didn't know if I should bring it up. You know, she would tell me stories. She would tell me about how she struggled with racist attitudes at her job and Nothing that I ever experienced ever seemed to compare in magnitude. So then I never felt like I could talk about my experience because her experience trumps my experience. See how tricky that is? Then how do you tell the Black woman that? How do you, as an Asian woman, say that to your Black friend? Right. Like you can't compare. But then also, this might be pure ignorance talking, mm -hmm. so I don't know if this is the right way to think about this, but did she view you as Asian? Or was, or did she view you as just not black? I didn't know the answer to that because until, and I had to ask her directly because when George Floyd was killed, she had texted me and said, I just can't talk to my white friends right now. She, that was her literal text to me. And I did not know if that 
included me. So you didn't know if she was saying, I no, can't talk to you or I if didn't. she was saying in yeah, solidarity. Yeah, yeah. So then it's, it's so awkward, like to text back and be like, does that mean me to like, I mean, I'm obviously not white, but I'm also not black. So these nuances I never even thought about until I became very close to her. My relationship with her is one of my most intimate relationships to date. And she happens to be black. And I'd never once thought about being non-black versus, you know what I mean? Like, so I had to ask her, like, we had to talk about it. I, I, we eventually got on the phone and I, I asked her about that. Another, another point, uh, she had texted me an article. This is all during George Floyd. She texted me an article, something about like 30 things white people can do to understand the black, some, some list that was addressed to white people. She texted me a link to the article. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. I'm like, first of all, I've been thinking about what it's not, what it's like to not be white in this country for 40 years. So I don't really need someone to tell me, but I also haven't been black. So I, it was, and she texted me the, the link without a comment. I'm like, I don't know what she's trying to communicate to me. I still don't know if she is being solidarity with you or if she is. So eventually, <laughs> yes, exactly. So she definitely doesn't see me as white. She wanted to be able to talk to me in a way that she couldn't talk to her white friends. So I guess that answers that question. But I know that she's never, she doesn't talk to me like she does her black friends either. Of course. I don't know. I think it's probably murky for her too. And probably murkier if she was raised by white parents, I'm guessing. Yes, absolutely. And she was married to someone white. And you know, it's like her identity is a black person. Well, what about your identity as an Asian person? And I have lots of Asian friends. I, I almost hate just saying Asian because it is so like, I have Vietnamese friends. I have Korean yeah. friends. I, you know, you really like there's do. differences. That's <laughs> what we do. But they also have different layers or levels of how much their Asian identity has affected them. And I've talked about it because this, now I'm curious. So in the last like five years, let's say I've like asked mm-hmm. all of them and some of them have parents that don't speak English very well. And some of them are just feel like they're a half step away from being an American white person. Like they, it's not a huge part of their identity. So they're like all over the spectrum. Yeah. So I want to ask you if it, how much of an identity piece is it to you that you brought to that friendship even, or just being in the world, I guess. I think I soften and downplay my Asian experience in my friendship with her compared to other arenas of my life. And I've never said that to her. And I've probably never even really thought about it until now. Well, no, that's not true. I think I probably soften and downplay and cover up some of my Asian influenced experiences with her. Because of the national conversation. Um, Yeah, because she's black. Of black people in America. Yeah. So do you feel like you're, I mean, obviously you're doing that out of respect and love for her, but also is it lessening you? (laughs) Maybe a little bit. I guess I'm not convinced it matters, but I think so, probably, because my experience of being Asian is less on the minimal side and more on the apparent side of the scale. Like I, I didn't grow up in California. I grew up in a very white part of the country. So I, it was a struggle to understand and reconcile and accept my identity and culture in that context. I do experience it fully. I, I think even now living in Seattle and I mean, I'm married to someone white now, my sister is Asian. I feel like, like we can't assume that she's not right (laughs) in this world. My sister's Asian. We share the same parents. 
she married someone Asian who is a pretty vigorous study of Asian American issues in America. Mm-hmm. So the three of us text very vigorously about Asian American issues. And then I talked to my husband. I'm very, I feel fully Asian with him. I mean, we talk about what it's like to be in an interracial relationship, what it's like to be Asian in America all the time. And I do not have that level of dialogue about my Asian experience with my black friend. Yes, it feels a little bit like I'm make less, whatever, repressing it. I don't, I'm not sure if it matters. I mean, you could say I'm not being fully authentic in the relationship. And of course that, I don't know if it matters. I don't know that it matters either. I mean, I yeah. think we all do some version of this yeah. with maybe something besides race. Like mm-hmm. you downplay your work life to exactly. your girlfriends or whatever. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's versions of this, maybe not as important, but like there's, we all sort of do this a little bit. Totally. But after George Floyd or mm-hmm. as time mm-hmm. has gone on, do you feel like, in being in this deep friendship with her and that you were able to talk about some of these things, like, were you teaching one another? Was it just a proximity where like, you know, you learn just by proximity or not that you were always having to learn something, but like, how did it go? No, it's much more than proximity. And that has always been the nature of our interaction. It's, we have open, explicit and intentional conversations about things. And we're sending each other podcasts. We we really lean into the topic. Does she have other friends like that? Because I think you're um, kind of a rarity, Carol, if I may say so. <laughs> I think she has very vivid conversations with her Black friends. She only has a few Black friends in Seattle, I think. I've never met another one of her Black friends. And I know that they talk extensively about race and being Black. I have met many of her white friends. And I, she's told me that they don't get to the things that we talk about. And it's one of the reasons she values our friendship so much. We both have the capacity and desire to go there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I can already tell that I'm sure it's one of the reasons that she is attracted to you as a friend is that Mm -hmm. you are like this, but are you like this with like, she, you're like this with everybody. Yeah, I am, but I have to calibrate to where the other person is able to meet me. But yes, I am like this with everybody. But does she go, why is she you know, get the title, if you will, of bestie, bestie. like, because Um, she goes deeper than other people, or you just are genuinely enjoy her more. Yeah, That's a good question. Because I asked myself that too. It's a combination. She is available. I would say our quality of connection. So that's one factor. I do enjoy Gloria. It's not like we just put our like professor glasses every time we see each other and talk about, you know, (laughs) race. I mean, she's like hilarious. Like there are like personality things that also are uniquely enjoyable that we bring to each other and like interest things like like I said the restaurant thing Lori and I like the same things we like Mm. to eat nice food we like to have a steak (laughs) you know like a Caesar salad that has real anchovies and garlic in it like we like the same thing so I think there has to be like a magic I think all those things come together to make her my bestie but her capacity to to talk engage and be confrontational and vulnerable about the deepest matters of life is like foundational. Yeah. Did your relationship change when you got married? No, it did not. And I take pride in that. (laughs) I made it, I had already made a commitment. I mean, I'd spent so long not being married and seeing everyone else got married. It became very, it was, I was very principled about not dropping the most important people in my life when I got married. 
she stood in our wedding. Uh, we got married in the middle of pandemic and she came. She was one of three people who came and it has not changed. And she kind of, we've actually openly discussed it again. We openly mm -hmm. discussed it before I got married. She had certain hopes and expectations and she had concerns that she was prepared for because she had lost many other friends to life stage changes. And so we discussed it and I told her I was committed and I have followed through. I, I see her all the time. Brian knows that she's my, one of my highest priorities. She's, tr she's come on trips with us. Well, just one, but. <laughs> well, now at 60, 62. Yes. I was going to, I was going to, even though you hadn't asked me a question, I was going to go ahead and throw something at you. Were you going to ask something age related? Yeah. I was going to be like, she's sort of entering. And I say, this is my husband's 55. So like, mm -hmm. I, I can already see, and he's you know younger than her. Like we're entering a new era of like health stuff mm -hmm. and it is a different season. Yes. So she is in a pretty wildly different journey of yes. life than you are. And so it has, you know, and, and she's single. So I, I think she's single still friendship is so important. And so like, I wondered if that the age part has started to show itself. Yes. In fact, just last year, she said, you're probably going to bury me. <laughs> mm. And I said, and she, it was a very kind of serious conversation. We've talked about, I am the executor or I, I have some sort of, I forget, I already forget now I'm in her will. I, I think I'm the executor of her will. I should know that. Right. She is preparing to retire. She's about to turn 64. She is preparing for end of life and a very, I mean, she's young and healthy, but you know, she's doing all the administrative things now she's in the process of retiring. And so she actually said, you're probably going to bury me. And we had a whole conversation about it that I'll, I will see her grow old and sick and die. Of course. And we always qualify. Like we never, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and die before her, but you know, she didn't get a colonoscopy at the recommended time. So she actually went in for her first one last month and I, I drove her. I was the one to drive her. There's no one else to take her. Well, I mean, and we can barely afford a condo. We're still looking for a condo, but I've kind of in my head thought the older we get, I wonder if I should figure out how to get glory to like live in an in-law or something, you know, like I'm her, she doesn't have any family in town. You know, she has no children. Her siblings are actually much older than her. I was going to say, I she don't... seems like a sister. I mean, that's something yeah, you think about with yeah, a sister. Yeah, yeah. And you have a biological sister. I do have a biological sister, but I, I, I have started thinking about what will happen when Gloria gets older and needs help. And Brian's parents live in town. They're 80. They're both alive and healthy. And I haven't really said to Brian, like, I, it's still too far away and it feels a little abstract to me right now, but the, the, I think that's where, when you have a best friend who's 20 years older than you, who I'm already starting to take her to medical appointments. Mm -hmm. Does that feel to you um, like a burden? Yeah. A burden, or does it feel like this is, you know, circle of life and honor? Like, I don't know. Um, or both. It doesn't. I, I do feel like there's an extra step in communicating with Brian, how I feel about it. I, I do feel like there's work for me to like communicate to him how important it is to me that I'm increasingly available to help take care of her. And I feel that I sense that there might be some work in getting him to buy into that. He might like, he, he didn't know she was a package deal. Well, maybe. yeah. I mean, I didn't put it. I mean, he, uh, first of all, he, he knew about Gloria from day one. I guess he kind of does know, but I haven't really said it like that. And I don't think maybe he even understands the extent of it as far as like health, declining health. And it doesn't feel like a burden because I feel like that could have been me. I, I, I never 
guarantee that I was going to get married for a long time. I was preparing for a lifetime of just how to take care of myself and how to build relationships that I could lean on. So, and even now I'm like, you know, Brian could croak at any, you know, I don't know. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't have any kids. Brian's nine years older than me. So he'll probably, I don't know. He might die before me. So I actually think Lori got lucky. I mean, I need to meet someone 10, 20 years on, younger than me. <laughs> when I'm, you know, like, I hope that's coming. But no, so it doesn't feel like a burden because it is a circle of life thing. That could have been me too. And it may, could be me still one day. We love each other a lot. We really do. What did she say when you told her that you had shared about your unique friendship story? Uh, she was very happy. I didn't tell her until after it got the invitation to interview with you because I didn't know. I, I just, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it earlier. And she, but she um, was fine with it. Oh yeah. She's like, share whatever you want. Yeah. She was happy about it. Good. I actually thought I was like, should you just get on the call with me? I was like, I, you know, it'd be really interesting to have us both there. But then I was like, no, never mind. So <laughs> she was happy about it. She didn't know who you were. No, that's good. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. I think this friendship sounds so beautiful and is a fascinating look at what happens when we are open to friends who are different from us. This episode was part of my series called Friendship Stories. I conducted dozens of interviews, hours of audio, talking to women about their friendships as part of my research for my new book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs, which is out now. The Life Council is available in your favorite form, hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook, wherever you buy books. Go to thelifecouncilbook.com to learn more. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening.